the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show live back in studio. Glad to have you with us. Dave King is engineering today's program and we're glad to have you with us. James Blend, by the way, is vacationing. Today on the program, we are going to talk with Amal. Um, now I've got to remember how to pronounce his name. He's going to be with us shortly. Um, Amal Thapar. There you go. The People's Justice. He's the author of Clarence Thomas and the Constitutional Stories that Define Him. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Uh, we'll also take a look at a uh, pastor's conference in communist China declaring that they want to change the face and structure of Christianity, not just in communist China, but around the world. And uh, we'll get into The Sound of Freedom, the successful movie that's surprising, well, everybody. Well, there's a lot of news that's accumulated since we were live and on the air. So I wanted to cover some of the things from last week as well as the present. So I'll begin with a star-spangled bummer. Well, the rocket's red glare was switched out for synchronized electronics in cities near you on Independence Day. Salt Lake City, Utah, for example, and a few other cities across the U.S. opted to trade thunderous fireworks displays for colorful high-tech drone shows this Fourth of July week over fire safety and air quality concerns in dry areas. Now, this may be the wave of the future. Last week, Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall, he announced it was replacing traditional fireworks for Independence Day festivities and... Those planned for the 24th, which is Pioneer Day in that that community. Instead, the city held its first ever drone show last night or the night before um, the 4th, which the city said was a proactive effort to combat the city's uh, high fire danger and to alleviate air quality concerns. So an interesting trend. Chat GPT has landed a new job title on its resume. Wedding officiant, a Colorado couple. Uh, they celebrated their wedding a uh, weekend ago in Morrison, Colorado, at the historic Morrison Church. Though the church dates back to the 1800s, the couple also embraced the future of technology by employing ChatGPT to oversee their wedding. Thank you all for joining us today to celebrate the extraordinary love and unity of Reese and Dayton, the chatbot said at the couple's wedding last month. The couple said they planned their wedding in just five days, explaining that Truett was about to uh, deploy to the uh, for the Army. And they wanted to uh, be married before basic training. Colorado does not require a licensed marriage official to officiate ceremonies. So the bride's dad uh, had the idea to use the easier and cheaper officiant. Well, the chatbot was um, at first hesitant to conduct the uh, the ceremony, according to CBS Colorado. It said no at first. I can do this. I don't have eyes. I don't have a body. I can't officiate at your wedding, they recounted what the bot had said. Well, the couple persisted and fed the chat bot personal information about themselves to weave into the remarks during the ceremony. The couple even sent out a message written by chat GPT to their 30 guests explaining AI would be officiating. During the ceremony, I will eloquently express the significance of this historic moment and limitless possibilities that arise when love and technology intersect, the bot wrote in that statement. Well, the couple told the uh, local 
outlet they did not know what exactly the bot would say during the ceremony and placed a robot mask over a speaker to make it appear as if someone was speaking. Wave of the future. Well, the decision of the Supreme Court to end the use of race in college admissions wasn't unexpected, yet President Biden expressed outrage and actually claimed that the court gutted the constitutional guarantee that all men and women are created equal. In declaring that this court was not normal, the president further insisted that these admissions decisions and the Dobbs abortion decision reverse the gains that we fought a war over in 1860 to secure. 1860, that would be the Civil War. In an interview on MSNBC's deadline, White House uh, uh, President Biden accused the court of ignoring what the Constitution says. We told these truth. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women are created equal, endowed by their creator, end quote. That's actually a reference to the Declaration of Independence, but it was the substance of the point that was so baffling. In uh, barring the use of race and admissions, the court believed that it was protecting that very self-evident guarantee. It erased what the court viewed as a glaring anomaly in its cases in the treatment of racial discrimination in education as opposed to employment. It was the capstone opinion for Chief Justice John Roberts, who in 2017, way back then, declared the way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race, end quote. Well, in 2006, Roberts also said it was it is a sordid business that divvying us up by race, end quote. Well, the court thought it was doing the work um he started, but not fulfilled, with a declaration in treating that in uh, treating that all men and women are created equal in both education and employment. The president isn't alone with such hyperbole. Figures like ABC's Whoopi Goldberg actually asked whether the decision will be leading to no women in colleges soon. Who knows? She said. Well, we actually do know. An opinion rejecting the use of racial classification to determine who goes to college could not only. Uh, be uh, read by anyone as endorsing the exclusion of other groups. The truly baffling statement was the president's claim over the Civil War. By leaving questions like abortion to the states, the president claims that the court was reversing what was gamed in the Civil War. The criticism came in response to an opinion insisting that there is no place for racial discrimination in higher education. That would hardly seem an argument that would be embraced by the Confederacy. Well, the president has long taken liberties with our constitutional history. Many have repeatedly objected to claims that he has made in areas like the Second Amendment. One of its most repeated lines is that the Second Amendment was passed with an understanding that certain guns would be banned and adding you couldn't buy a cannon when, in fact, the Second Amendment passed, end quote. Well, that happens to be utterly false, yet uh, even after the Washington Post declared the president's understanding of the Second Amendment to be false, he has continued to make the same assertion over and over again. Well, now the president has moved on to the Civil War and his revisionism is about as subtle as Sherman's scorched march to the sea. Well, Jamil Hill accused uh, Asians who backed the affirmative action decision of carrying the water for white supremacy. Apparently, unless you agree line by line, you are a white supremacist. It doesn't matter if you're African-American, Asian, doesn't matter. In other words, they w- should accept discrimination as a victory. Well, this is, uh, was not the first time Hill accused a minority group of supporting white supremacy following the police beating of Tyree Uh, Nichols in January by five black officers. She insisted that the incident arose from racism, just as women sometimes carry the water for misogyny and the patriarchy. Black people have definitely done the same for white supremacy. You struck uh, stuck on the uh, faces. I'm looking at the system and why it was created. Hill went on to tweet. So 
There you have the standard, which is no standard at all. We're going to take a quick break, continue to wind our way through some of the news over the last several days. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking about the news from the last, oh, 10 days or so as we were not live and on the air. Well, the notorious Wagner mercenary group that grabbed headlines over the last weekend did more than carry out an attempted mutiny. It drew a serious psychological blow to Russia's elite airborne command and control, the U.K. Defense Ministry assessed. In his move to advance north uh, towards Moscow Saturday, Wagner uh, forces shot down a high-value Russian IL-22M airborne command post aircraft, killing its crew and destroying one of the 12 special mission aircraft. The loss of that aircraft is likely to have a negative impact on Russian air and land operation. In the short term, the psychological shock of losing a large number of air crew in this manner will almost certainly damage morale within the Russian aerospace forces, the defense ministry said in its daily briefing. Well, according to the open source military analysis uh, website Onyx, at least five Russian helicopters uh, were also destroyed within Russian borders by Wagner forces, including one MI-35 uh, attack helicopter, a KA-52 attack helicopter, at least two MI-8 electronic warfare helicopters and one MI-8 transport helicopter. Wagner chief uh, uh, Prigozhin, who led the mutiny is in what he called a march for justice and retaliation for the ill a treatment of his forces in Ukraine said he regretted the attack on Russian soldiers, but deemed it necessary. We regret that we had to hit air assets, but those assets were dropping bombs and launching missile strikes, he said. Despite the nearly half dozen destroyed Russian helicopters, the U.K. Defense Ministry said the real blow lies in the downing of the IL-22M aircraft, which was part of a small fleet of just a dozen aircraft that are heavily utilized for both airborne command and control and radio relay tasks. California Representative Ro Khanna on Sunday praised President Joe Biden's continued effort to cancel federal student loan debt after the Supreme Court struck down his initial plan to forgive up to $20,000 for some borrowers. The president said Friday that he will now rely on the 1965 Higher Education Act to try to enact debt forgiveness rather than the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students or HEROES Act of 2003, on which his initial plan was based. I am pleased that the White House is invoking the Higher Education Act. Kana, a progressive Democrat, told ABC's Jonathan Carl, I do hope that the White House will make sure that the interest doesn't accrue starting in September. So keep your eyes poised. The president apparently isn't finished. Well, Democratic squad member Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez out of New York slammed the U.S. Supreme Court for what she called an abuse of power on Sunday last following landmark decisions this uh, this past week, rejecting affirmative action and the president's student loan debt plan. She proposed impeachment and subpoenas be put into play in order to limit the justices power. The Supreme Court is far overreaching their authority, she said on CNN's State of the Union. And I believe, frankly, that we really need to be having conversations about judicial review as a check on the courts as well. She added the separation of powers apparently is meaningless to her. A Baltimore um, shooting left two dead and 28 injured. A gunfire erupted at a block party in Baltimore, killing two people, wounding 28 and leaving an extensive crime scene that marred a U.S. holiday weekend. Three of the uh, wounded were in critical condition and fatalities accrued. Harvard University is looking to uh, continue its race uh, in admissions 
uh, standard. Harvard University says it may still consider race in its admissions process, despite the Supreme Court ruling against affirmative action in higher education, maintaining in a statement that the decision allows schools to consider an applicant's racial background, among other factors, provided that the prospective student explains how it has impacted their life. Harvard, a private university in Massachusetts, said it intends to follow the court's ruling, but it noted that the decision still allows it to consider race, among other factors. A controversial Florida law, which took effect uh, a Saturday ago, a week ago, no longer recognizes driver's licenses issued to undocumented immigrants from other states, among other restrictions in Florida. The law also includes harsh penalties for those who try and hire or transport undocumented migrants, which critics say can include family members. It also requires hospitals that receive Medicaid funds to ask for a patient's immigration status. Governor DeSantis claims the legislation is needed due to what he considers the administration's failure to secure the border. At the end of the day, he says, you wouldn't have the illegal immigration problem if you didn't have a lot of people who were facilitating this in our country, he recently said during a campaign rally. Well, the Moms for Liberty Summit brought presidential candidates Trump, DeSantis and Haley together. Top rivals for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination addressed the National Conference for Moms for Liberty, appealing to the conservative parents' rights advocacy group with vows to bolster education and keep discussion of gender identity out of the classroom. Don't mess with America's moms, former President Donald Trump told the crowd in Philadelphia, calling the group a grassroots juggernaut. The appearance of Trump and rivals Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley at the summit served as a testament to the weight their campaigns are placing on race and gender-based cultural issues related to education heading into next year's nominating contests. Well, just before the 4th of July holiday, Gallup released their findings on how proud respondents were to be American. For 2023, the number who responded they are extremely proud is just 39%, near the record low of last year's 38%. A combined 67% are extremely proud or very proud, with 28% choosing that option. Since 2018, extreme pride in the nation has consistently been averaging 42%. The polls write up um, ex- noted the biggest difference in those who say they are extremely proud is by political affiliation. The Associated Press claims the word patriot is concerning. The AP kicked off the Independence Day celebrations with an article explaining why the word patriot has become problematic in recent years. In the article, the outlet argued that the word has been overtly political and taken up by extremist groups used in ways that uh, made it less about love for the country and more about hatred for certain minority groups, at least according to AP. The term patriot in America has become infused with political rhetoric and school curriculums with varying meetings while also being appropriated by white nationalist groups, they argue. Dr. Rochelle Walensky has uh, Warning for American people, be on guard against misinformation and the politicization of science. In one of her final interviews as head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Walensky said that she wants Americans to make health decisions based on their own risk assessment and their own personal risk, but not through politics. Political partisanship has in many ways defined Walensky's tenure as CDC director. People on the right were more likely to push back against the agency's pandemic guidance and quarantines, distancing and masking compared to those on the left, while Democrats were more likely to be vaccinated than Republicans. But she politicized the issue, which rankled many. Democrats revived calls to pack the Supreme Court with liberals last week after the court's 
conservative majority decided uh, several causes the wrong way, as liberals view it. On Thursday and Friday, the Supreme Court handed down, and that's last, three decisions on multiple uh, closely watched cases. The court ruled against Harvard and the University of North Carolina's race-based admissions processes. It ruled in favor of a Christian graphic designer who did not want to make wedding websites uh, with a message that uh, did not correspond with their faith. And the court struck down President Biden's student loan forgiveness program. Democrats and liberals raged at the court, uh, some calling to expand the court's bench to dilute the conservative majority, which was uh, cemented by former President Trump, three consecutive nominees. Representative Adam Schiff said it would not be extreme to add more justices. A Philadelphia shooting left five dead and two minors injured, and a judge blocked the Biden administration from working with social media companies to censor content. A judge prohibited several federal agencies and officials of the administration from working with social media companies about protected speech, a decision called a blow to censorship by one of the Republican officials whose lawsuit prompted the ruling. U.S. District Judge Terry Doherty of Louisiana granted the injunction in response to a 2022 lawsuit brought by a Attorney General in Louisiana and Missouri. Attorneys General, I should say. Their lawsuit alleged that the federal government overstepped in its efforts to convince social media companies to address postings that could result in vaccine hesitancy during the COVID-19 pandemic or affect elections. Doherty cited substantial evidence of a far-reaching censorship campaign. He wrote that the evidence produced thus far depicts an almost dystopian scenario. During the COVID-19 pandemic, a period perhaps best characterized by widespread doubt and uncertainty, the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian Ministry of Truth. The California Reparations Task Force is seeking recompense rather, for the war on drugs, and they want police to not enforce public urination. Based on a formula created by the California Reparations Task Force, a nine-member panel appointed by Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom, the total amount owed to black California residents victimized by the war on drugs since 1970 amounts to $225 billion. The figure is contingent on an annual reparations amount of $159,792, calculated to take into account the disproportionate years spent behind bars for African American, multiplied by what a California state employee would have earned in a year on average since incarcerated persons were forced unpaid employees of the state. Well, not exactly employees, but... There you have it. Majority of uh, potential voters believe Hunter Biden received special treatment in his plea deal. A majority disapprove of the plea bargain that kept Hunter Biden out of federal prison and suspect favoritism for the president's son. The latest Rasmussen Reports survey finds that 55 percent of likely U.S. voters disapprove of the deal of which Hunter Biden agreed to plead guilty on charges that he violated federal tax and gun laws, including 41 percent who strongly disagree. 37 percent approve of the plea bargain, including 19 percent who strongly approve. Governor Katie Hobbs rather refused to call from 12 state AGs to repeal her executive order discriminate decriminalizing abortion. The governor is rejecting the call from nearly all country prosecutors to rescind her executive order limiting prosecutions of abortion related crimes. 12 out of 15 county prosecutors in Arizona wrote a letter to the governor on Uh, Monday last, calling on her to reverse her executive order, giving state attorneys general 
um, the power to take up any court prosecution related to the state's abortion laws. In addition, it bans state agencies from assisting other states in prosecutions related to abortions, as well as bans extraditions of people accused of violating other states' abortion laws. A formal lab test of the White House substance found at the White House on Sunday has come back positive for cocaine. The investigation continues, but we've been warned we may never know where it came from. Meanwhile, Xi Jinping personally warned Vladimir Putin against using nuclear weapons in Ukraine, indicating Beijing harbors concerns about Russia's war, even as it offers tacit backing to Moscow, according to Western and Chinese officials. The face-to-face message was delivered during the Chinese president's state visit in Moscow in March. The people added one of Xi's first trips outside China after years of isolation under his zero COVID policy. Since then, Chinese officials have privately taken credit for convincing the Russian president to back down from his veiled threats of using nuclear weapons against Ukraine, the people said. The Philadelphia shooter has been arrested, and that was actually a week ago. Uh, The man accused of fatally shooting five men and injuring two children in Philadelphia has been charged with five counts of murder. The 40-year-old alleged shooter is also facing charges of attempted murder, reckless endangerment, aggravated assault, and carrying a firearm without a valid permit. Meanwhile, Russia is floating a prisoner swap for the Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gerskovich. The Kremlin on Tuesday addressed the potential for a prisoner swap with the United States for detained Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gerskovich a day after the U.S. ambassador to Moscow was permitted to visit the journalist held at the notorious uh, prison for the first time since uh, April. On a call with reporters on Tuesday, Kremlin spokesperson uh, Peskov was asked whether uh, Monday's consular visit uh, to Gerskovich, who had been held behind bars in Moscow since March, on what the United States government deems the bogus charges of espionage, and uh, Vladimir Dunyev, a Russian citizen in U.S. custody on cybercrime charges, could potentially herald a prisoner swap. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a break, but we'll be back momentarily. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Amal the, the, the Par. Amal the Par. I'll get this by the time he joins us. Anyway, he's the author of The People's Justice, Clarence Thomas and the Constitutional Stories That Define Him. Interesting, it's not a, a book about him per se. It's a book about decisions he's made that gives us insight into who he is. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, Afghanistan's Taliban rulers and their latest trampling of women's rights have ordered the closure of beauty salons across the nation, eliminating one of the last means Afghan women had for earning income and finding social engagement. Under the guidance issued by the de facto Taliban government supreme leader, women's beauty salons in Kabul and the provinces should not be given or should be given a month to shut their business activities and their licenses and contracts will be invalid at the end of the specified period. That's according to a statement from the Taliban's Ministry of Vice and Virtue, which is responsible for enforcing the group's strict draconian interpretation of Islamic law. Well, the Secret Service says cocaine was found near the White House Situation Room, but they probably will never find out where it came from. There was some uh, question about where it was actually located. We later learned it was apparently near the Situation Room. I'm not sure where that is, uh, but that's... um where they tell us lawyers representing the Christian website designer whose free expression uh, case triumphed at the white, the uh, Supreme court rather on Friday 
are pushing back on recent uh, reporting in the New Republic, insinuating that the designer fabricated a request to create a same-sex wedding website around the time the lawsuit was filed. I mean, who would, on earth would want to subject themselves to that lengthy um, a process? I couldn't tell you, but... Um, an MSNBC reporter said that after Melissa um, Dyra reported the CO web designer case before the Supreme Court had a made up plaintiff, Supreme Court lawyer Neil Katyal says the case should be revisited. There is a procedure in court to seek rehearing and to get this decision stricken from the books. By the way, uh, the uh, plaintiff in that case is going to be our guest on Wednesday. We'll hear firsthand whether or not she simply fabricated the story in order to work her way up to be heard by the Supreme Court. Meanwhile, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has published on its website guidance for people who identify as trans and non-binary on how to chest feed infants. The CDC's website now has information on how to feed children for biological women who had their breasts removed as part of gender reassignment surgeries and for biological men taking hormones in order to grow breasts. But of course, a biological man taking female hormones is incapable of Uh, breastfeeding or bearing a child. The agency added that the gender identity or expression of transgender individuals is different from their sex at birth, noting that the gender identity of non-binary gendered individuals does not fit neatly into either man or woman, end quote. Well, under the website's breastfeeding section discussed breastfeeding for those who had um, undergone surgeries, the agency used the term chest feeding. Feel like women are just being, I don't know, fading away, being eliminated. Public confidence in national institutions continues to trend downward among American voters, according to a new survey. A Gallup poll found trust in seven of the 16 institutions surveyed this year had significant drops since last year's historically low records. The U.S. military and medical systems suffered the worst losses. They were both down four percentage points. The five other institutions that saw considerable drops were small businesses, Police, banks, public schools and organized labor. The Supreme Court and the presidency did not seem uh, major shifts in public opinion between 2002 and now, or rather 2022 and now, but each was already at a record low. The live action Barbie movie will showcase a trans actor, if you can call a cartoon figure an actor. Hari Neff is the biological male transgender actor who is playing the doctor version of the Barbie character in the upcoming live action Barbie, Barbie movie. Neff said on social media just how important he believed it was for a transgender person to portray the toy character. There's been a trend of movies flopping at the box office lately. Now, just uh, not just any movie, though, woke movies specifically take Pixar's film Elemental. It resulted in the second lowest three day opening in the history of the studio. Why did it flop when it had two hundred million dollar budget and was expected to earn 40 million on opening weekend? Might it have something to do with the fact that one of the characters is non-binary and uses they them pronouns? Regardless, numbers are indisputable and the numbers for many of these overtly woke movies are abysmal. Republicans sent a letter to Target expressing concern about their pride campaign targeting children. Seven Republican state attorneys general warned Target on Wednesday that its LGBTQ friendly pride collection may violate child protection laws. The seven AGs sent a five page letter to Target CEO Brian Cornell saying state officials are concerned the Target's 2023 collection was potentially harmful to minors as it interfered with parental authority in matters of sex and gender identity and possible violation of fiduciary duties by the company's directors 
and of officers. They wrote that Target wittingly marketed and sold LGBTQIA plus promotional products to families and young children as part of a comprehensive effort to promote gender and sexual identity among children. Studies link marijuana use to mental illness. The Wall Street Journal reports that several studies have shown that chronic cannabis use is linked to a higher incidence of schizophrenia among men in their early 20s, the age when the disease is usually diagnosed. The first paper on the topic, a Swedish study published in 1997, found that heavy cannabis use was associated with a six-fold increase in schizophrenia risk. In the decades since, social scientists have unearthed a strong link between heavy cannabis use and other severe psychological illnesses, including clinical depression and bipolar disorder. People diagnosed with cannabis use disorder were almost twice as likely to be diagnosed later with clinical depression. Now, a new longitudinal study has examined the medical records of all citizens of Denmark over the age 16, some 6.5 million people in all, for patterns of diagnosis, hospitalization and treatment for substance use between 1995 and 2021. Governor Tony Evers, the Democrat from Wisconsin, pulled off a veto trick that allowed him to lock in spending for public schools for the next 402 years. The original budget sent to him offered 325,000 uh, 325 in spending for children for um, school year 2023-24 and 24-25. However, Evers struck the 24 from the first school year the 20 in the second and the hyphen between 2024 and 25. The result was for the budget to promise 325 in funding per child from 2023 to 2425. Well, Bud Light has slid out of the top 10 to the 15th in popularity. According to the Daily Mail, Bud Light is no longer ranked among the top 10 in the U.S. after the Dylan Mulvaney marketing disaster the survey has found. A Native American chief says Ben and Jerry's headquarters is built on stolen land. Well, days after the progressive ice cream company, Ben and Jerry's, called on the U.S. to return stolen indigenous land, a Native American chief said the company's headquarters, located in South Burlington, um, Vermont, is sitting on western Aben- um, Abenaki land. Chief Don Stevens, chief of the um, uh, band of um, Kusuk, Abenaki Nation said in an interview, if you look at the Abenaki traditional way of being, we are place based people before recognized tribes in the state. We were the ones who were in this place. The chief said that he looks forward to any kind of correspondence with the brand to see how they can better benefit indigenous people. Stevens um, added that if the company is sincere about advocating for Native Americans, the tribe should be hearing from them about the land. Ben and Jerry caught backlash over the Independence Day post that read, the United States was founded on stolen indigenous land this 4th of July. Let's commit to returning it. Again, the chief suggesting Ben and Jerry can do just that. Miss Netherlands is a biological male. Uh, The Miss Netherlands pageant has uh, taken a rather unexpected, maybe expected turn, ladies and gentlemen. This year, the crown goes to a trans woman, Ricky Valerie Cole, a person who was assigned male at birth, uh, but now identifies and presents as a woman. This uh, quite literally adds a whole new dimension to the beauty pageant scene. Who needs historical gender norms when we get just uh, we can just rewrite them and um, women competing against women? No longer have to be women. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. A reminder in the second hour, the people's justice, Clarence Thomas and the constitutional stories that define him with the author of that book. We'll also look at 
uh, the Chinese Communist Party's Pastors Conference and The Sound of Freedom, the movie, why it's so successful. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. In our second hour, we'll Talk about the book, The People's Justice, Clarence Thomas and the Constitutional Stories That Define Him. We'll also take a look at a pastor's conference in communist China and what their intentions are for the church worldwide. And The Sound of Freedom, the movie, it's a success no one expected. All of that coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, the U.S. and Germany are under intense pressure from other allies to show greater support for Ukraine's eventual membership in NATO. Just days before the military alliance's leaders meet in Lithuania, Washington and Berlin have backed a form of words for the summit's uh, concluding statement that does not fully endorse a pathway to NATO membership, let alone invite Kiev to join once the war is over, as demanded by Ukraine's staunchest supporters in Eastern Europe. Other members of the alliance were caught off guard by the conservative U.S. And German stance. Uh, the U.S. President Joe Biden doused Kiev's hopes of a breakthrough on membership, saying he didn't think Ukraine was ready. President Biden is catching heat from all sides for sending cluster bombs to Ukraine. He's landed uh, in the U.K. ahead of the NATO summit in Lithuania. Uh, which comes after several allies questioned his call to send cluster bombs to Ukraine. The U.K. and Canada are among those who voiced concern about supplying the bombs, which are widely banned because of danger they pose to civilians. The U.S. says they needed, uh, they're needed because Ukraine's weapon stocks are dwindling. The presidential plane touched down in Stansted Airport on Sunday evening. In an interview with ABC's Martha Raddatz, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky explained that foot dragging from allies who are providing arms and equipment to Ukraine will lead to more lives lost. While the Biden administration recently made the decision to send those cluster munitions I mentioned a moment ago to the country Russia illegally invaded, Ukraine is still seeking F-16 fighter jets and other equipment allies have not yet provided. Zelensky confirmed in an interview released Sunday that their procurement would allow the Ukrainians to move faster in their counteroffensive and save more lives as Russia's uh, war crimes mount. Janet Yellen met with Chinese officials to try to ease tensions. The Treasury Secretary on Sunday said she agreed Washington was will listen to Chinese complaints about security-related curbs on U.S. technology exports and might respond to unintended consequences as she ended a visit to Beijing aimed at reviving st- uh, strained relations. Yellen defended uh, targeting um, the targeted measures rather on trade that China's leaders complain are aimed at hurting its fledgling tech industry. Well, some students at a California school have been suspended and later faced restorative justice following a misgendering incident with a transgender teacher. When the students were approached about the misgendering incident, they uh, reportedly fled. Uh, But they will have to be reeducated, apparently. Democrats are upset with Representative AOC for endorsing President Biden's 2024 reelection campaign. Progressive Twitter users blasted the squad member. Uh, This week, after she endorsed President Joe Biden's reelection bid, leftists on the platform accused the lawmaker of selling out her progressive and anti-war values with her decision to support the second presidential term of the Democratic Party leader, who recently just approved of providing controversial cluster bombs for Ukraine's war effort. A former abortion doctor is taking uh, rather talking about his uh, convert. (laughs) 
Let me start this one over. A former abortion doctor is talking about his conversion to being pro-life. A former abortion doctor and his now deceased wife co-wrote a recently released book telling of their uh, conversion from the pro-abortion to the pro-life. The book is titled The Scalpel and the Soul, Our Radical Transformation as Husband and Wife Abortion Doctors. The doctor whose wife uh, died in 2021 explains how they both began work in the abortion industry, saying we started out as girlfriend, boyfriend who were doing abortions, moonlighting as residents. The pair used to work after hours and weekends in various abortion facilities, he added. It's easy money. It's really not fun to do. I think in your heart, you know, it's wrong. But the love of money is the root of all evil. Dr. Robinson uh, credits his transformation on abortion to his conversion to Christianity in 1986, one of the first things that the Lord did for us was to wake us up out of our uh, past and abortion, he explained, because what he wanted to do was to take us from darkness to light, from abortion providers to warriors in the pro-life movement. President Biden's border is still wide open, while left media outlets like the New York Times recently celebrated a significant decline in the number of illegal aliens crossing the border. The reporting is based on nothing more than smoke and mirrors. Back in January, the administration created a new program known as CBP-1, which effectively expands the number of migrants who can qualify for legal entry. This new program opens the door for upwards of 360,000 annually who might not otherwise qualify for entry. Todd Binsman of the Center for Immigration Studies observed more than 99 percent of all inadmissible aliens processed under the CBP one app uh, interview scheme is uh, being allowed into the country. In other words, CBP one is simply a legal workaround of our nation's border security laws and a way for the administration to claim it's securing the border while, in fact, it's keeping it wide open. Well, the House opened an investigation into President Biden's Iran envoy. It appears that Joe Biden isn't the only one in his administration who has a history of mishandling classified material. Indeed, Robert Malley, his envoy to Iran, working to resurrect Barack Obama's uh, Iran nuclear deal, has the same problem. Malley reportedly had his um, security clearance revoked over his mishandling of classified material, which prompted Republicans in the House Foreign Affairs Committee to launch an investigation into the matter. Committee Chairman Michael McCall blasted the State Department, stating that it's uh, that this failure to inform Congress of this matter demonstrates um, at best a lack of candor and at worst represents a deliberate and potentially unlawful misinformation. Second Amendment in the news, a federal district court judge in Texas shot down the Biden administration's recent attempt to infringe on Americans' Second Amendment rights with the ATF's new regulation banning so-called ghost guns. Judge Reed O'Connor ruled that the new regulation effectively banning the manufacture of partially made guns as an unlawful overreach of the agency's statutory jurisdiction under the Gun Control Act of 1968. The U.N. wants shipping to be net zero carbon by 2050. It's been observed that based upon practical reality, progressive policies actually result in regression, not progress. Case in point, U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres on Monday called on an all maritime nations to come to an agreement on setting a goal of net zero emissions by 2050 for the global shipping industry. And the reason, of course, is the climate change. Uh, evidently, uh, Guterres is... Um, a pining for the days of wind-powered sailing ships when folks waited for months, if not years, to send and receive goods. Google's quantum computer. The future means quantum computers, and with that future comes significant concerns as well as opportunities. Quantum computers are able to process information using quibits, 
as opposed to classical computers that use bits. Effectively, quantum computers go through reams of data in a fraction of the time of current computers. For example, quantum computing can perform a calculation in 200 seconds that would take a classic computer 10,000 years to perform. That's great, but this quantum leap is processing in processing speeds holds the possibility of making current encryption programs effectively useless. Well, the president says he's not done with student loans fresh off the um, spanking from the U.S. Supreme Court. He's going to come up with a workaround. And the president plans to hide new regulations from public review. Back in April, he signed a little noticed executive order that doubled the cost threshold requirement for triggering an economic impact review for a new regulation. Ironically, citing high inflation, which he caused as the reason, the president upped the required regulation review threshold from $100 million to $200 million. Ryan Young of the Competitive Enterprise Institute now observes that the president is effectively working to ensure fewer challenges to rules, less transparency and a freer hand for the executive branch to act without the legislature and the judiciary checking them. The president is working to hide the number of burdensome and controlling regulations the administration is foisting onto the American people. The National Institutes of Health has granted $3 million to mutilate kids. Republican Senators Rand Paul and Marco Rubio recently slammed the NIH over its funding of programs titled Trans-NIH Research Support. The program began in September of 21, and NIH, is, NIH rather has funneled over $3 million in taxpayer money to it. The aim is to create a trans health guide and expand the local workforce of gender-affirming care providers and advance equity and reduce mental health disparities or TGB or TGD youth uh, through systematic changes that increase access to gender affirming care. Well, there's a lot to be said, but we don't have time. Well, are hiking paths racist, as is virtually everything else we're now being told? Evidently, they are here in Oregon. At least that's the claim of a hiker and black Shakespearean actor, Tyrone Wilson, one of the founders of what amount to segregating hiking groups named Unlikely Hikers. Outgrown and people of color outdoors, Wilson ironically advertises his anti-racist hiking group as recreational communities for people who are more afraid of encountering a person with a prejudice than a mountain lion. And that's a quote. In other words, he perpetuates the idea that even the hiking trails are vestiges of white supremacy. Can't we all just get along? One wonders. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. And when we return, a conversation with the author of The People's Justice. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, for 30 years, Justice Clarence Thomas has been denounced as the cruelest justice, a betrayer of his race, an ideologue and the enemy of the little guy. Well, the Honorable Amal Thapar demolishes that caricature of this compelling uh, jurist in a compelling study of the man and the jurist, the people's justice, Clarence Thomas and the constitutional stories that define him. Every day, he points out in the book, Americans go to court invoking the Constitution. They fight for their homes, for better education, for safety in their homes and their cities, recounting the stories of a handful, 12 to be precise, of these ordinary Americans whose struggles for justice reach the Supreme Court. Uh, Thapur, he shines new light on the heart and the mind of Clarence Thomas in these cases. In fact, Justice Thomas has observed finding the right answer is often the least difficult problem. What's needed is the courage to assert that answer and stand firm in the face of the constant winds of protest and criticism. 
In this book, my guest seeks to help us understand a bit more about the heart of Clarence Thomas and not the caricature that's so often trotted out by media. Amal Thapar is a judge on the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, the son of Indian immigrants. He grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and graduated from Boston College and the University of California at Berkeley Law School. Before becoming an appeals court judge, he served as a federal prosecutor and trial judge. He regularly teaches at Notre Dame and the University of Virginia and Vanderbilt. He and his wife have three children. They live in northern Kentucky, and today he joins us to talk about his compelling book, The People's Justice, Clarence Thomas and the Constitutional Stories That Define Him. Thank you so much for joining us, Judge. Well, thank you for having me. This is such an interesting book because it takes a a different look at Clarence Thomas, a different facet of what we know about him, or at least think we know about him, to help reveal something of the heart of the man. What compelled you to take this approach to writing about Justice Thomas, who is so controversial in our country today? Yeah, I think that latter point is important that he's perceived as being controversial when the reality of his jurisprudence is it should, he should be anything but controversial. And I think so often the stories underlying the cases aren't told. In other words, we get a two minute sound bit bite, I'm sorry, about what went on in a case and we don't get explained to us. And this isn't anyone's fault, right? Everyone's operating these days in 240 characters or two minutes. People don't sit down and talk about um, or tell people about what actually went on in the Mm -hmm. cases upon which the Supreme Court's ruling. Yeah, it is so interesting to try to distill a major case into a paragraph or two uh, from a media that isn't necessarily objective in the retelling of it. Uh, is in itself a a misguided effort to understand what's going on. You write of Justice Thomas that he cares about people. One of his colleagues on the Supreme Court, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, recently described Justice Thomas this way. Justice Thomas is one of the justices in the building, uh, one justice that literally knows every employee's name, every one of them. He is a man who cares deeply about the court as an institution, about the people who work there, about people. Again, this might be surprising to some who only know uh, Justice uh, Thomas through uh, his um, the process in which he was seated on the court and everything that has followed. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what's actually so true about Justice Thomas is everyone that meets him, even his critics, love him or at least like him as a person. And what they don't understand or take the time to understand is that love for people that he has, all people. The book recounts a story about a homeless person he's friends with. He meets people every year in the RV parks and is friends with them. And that love for people translates into his jurisprudence. In fact, I would say it's in some ways why he's an originalist, because being an originalist means trusting and honoring the will of the American people. The, the fact that they are self-governing, he honors that fact in interpreting as a uh, originalist what the, the words of the Constitution actually say and what the case actually means. Right. And that's the purpose of the book, as I say, to tell you what people don't, to give a face and a voice to those who have been changed. Their lives have been changed forever by the cases that come in front of the court and to show how Justice Thomas champions both our Constitution, as you just pointed out, and the people it protects 
who are often the little guys. So they say he's in favor of corporations and consumers. The book and the stories in the book prove the opposite's true. They say he's in favor of the government over the individual. Again, the book shows the opposite's true. And it's not me telling you, like, the 12 chapters are not me, the author, telling people what to think, as the critics often do. Rather, it's show, laying out the stories, laying out Justice Thomas's own words, and letting people decide for themselves. Interestingly, um, Justice Thomas is, has um, been given the, the distinction of being the cruelest of the Supreme Court justices. Uh, and again, this book, in, in highlighting 12 of his cases, reveals a different facet of, of his character. Why do you think it's important for the American people uh, to, to know who Justice Thomas is more accurately than uh, we're being fed on a somewhat regular basis by hostels? Because I think originalism is a philosophy if properly explained, and it's not, you know, the media's fault, I don't think. I think it's our fault, meaning mine. And Justice Scalia said we have a responsibility to fly the flag. Well, sadly, since he's passed, we haven't done a good job of explaining originalism or taking it to the American people and showing how originalism, as properly understood, benefits the American people. And I think it's once they see this, and that's why I think the publisher said even the critics might be surprised in the sleeve. If someone will read this book and then have a critic read it as well and have a discussion with them, I think it's going to change minds and hearts about what Justice Thomas is all about. How much of the criticism that we hear about him is more politically motivated because uh, Justice Thomas really doesn't fit the profile of an African-American uh, you know, his own history aside uh, and the views that he is entitled to hold. I, I too, am a uh, conservative African-American, and I find uh, that there is a lot of opposition to the notion that you would uh, wander away from a certain set of ideas that are assigned to us. How much of his criticism is based on what he is and the fact that he really does not have the freedom in the view of some to hold views outside of what's been prescribed? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's in the motives of the critics, but I think the point you just made, I emphasize in the book because he himself, and I'm going to read this quote from the book, talks about how his grandfather taught him to assert my right to think for myself, to refuse to have my ideas assigned to me as though I was an intellectual slave because I am black, to state that I'm a man free to think for myself and do as I please and to assert that I am a judge and I will not be consigned to the unquestioned opinions of others. Here's the thing that's that's so appalling about how his race gets tied up in this and they say he's a traitor to his race is if you when you read his own words in the book and you see who the plaintiffs are and you see who he's in favor of ruling for and you see what he's talking about, you will see he has a very strong black voice. It's just Mm -hmm. not the black voice his critics want him to have. It's more of a black nationalist. um, We we will be victors, not victims. We will overcome barriers. It's much more like the Martin Luther King of old, the Malcolm X of old. And the people he champions are people like Frederick Douglass and Thomas Sowell that you see him cite to Frederick Douglass throughout his opinion. So I think it's appalling that people don't tell the other side how he's a champion for 30-some years on the bench of historically black colleges. Yet how often is that talked about? Not yeah. very often. Yeah, not all. very often at all. 
Well, we're talking about the book, um, The People's Justice, Clarence Thomas and the Constitutional Stories That Define Him. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about some of those constitutional uh, cases that define him, select some of the stories about Justice Thomas from the book. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My guest is Amal Thapar. He is the author of The People's Justice. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with the author of The People's Justice, Clarence Thomas and the Constitutional Stories That Define Him. Amal Plapar is himself a judge, uh, found um, Justice Thomas inspiring, and has written a book that focuses on 12 of the cases that reveal something of his uh, his character uh, and the, the heart of the man, if you will. Now, you um, have 12 selected cases in the book. Can you select the stories, uh, a few of them, about Justice Thomas um, that are your particular favorites or might surprise our listeners today about who Clarence Thomas is? Yeah, so I, you know, they're just a, they're like your children, right? There's no <laughs> one favorite after you've worked on them. You love them all. But I will start with the first chapter because I included it uh, for a reason as the first chapter. I think it's important because it shows so many facets of Justice Thomas's jurisprudence and his caring for people. And so in the first chapter, and I'm going to, can I, Jordan, can I, may I give the factual backdrop? Please do. I think that's so important. Suzette Kilo is a woman who's a little down on her luck. She's been separated from her husband. She's looking for a house to live. And she wants a house with a view of the water. But as a paramedic, she doesn't have a lot of money to spend. And so she buys in a blue-collar neighborhood this house with a view of the water that is run down. It's so run down, the real estate agent was embarrassed to sell it to her. But what is she going to do? She's going to get go take correspondent courses to become a nurse. She's going to get a second job as a nurse. She's going to put blood, sweat, and tears into this house. And she makes it a beautiful house. So beautiful that she wants to paint it her favorite color. It's called Odessa Pink. And she does show. And she's in a neighborhood with neighbors like the Dairies who've lived there. Their family's been there 100 years. They love this blue-collar neighborhood so much that when their kids get married, they put a down payment on a house for them in the neighborhood. And so this neighborhood has been around. It's in New London, Connecticut. Well, while Suzette is finding a piece of heaven, as she calls it, in her neighborhood, uh, the Pfizer Corporation, who your listeners may have heard of, is partnering with the city of New London, Connecticut, to come into New London. And they're going to go on an old mill site to put a plant and office building for their new wonder drug. They believe it's the wonder drug that's going to change the future called Viagra. And so they get this mill site, but they say the only way we'll come in and do this at, in New London, Connecticut is if we get more property and take it away through a process called eminent domain, which allows the government, according to the Fifth Amendment, to take your property for a public use. As Justice Thomas would later explain, that means taking a sliver of your land for a sidewalk or a sliver of your land to widen the road so that the public may use it. But what they want to do is take Suzette Kilo's neighborhood and turn it into an upscale mall, a health club, restaurants and upscale restaurants and shopping so they can have this beautiful shopping mall and condominium building and displace the residents. And they're going to use eminent domain to do it. Well, Suzette Kilo and her neighbors say no. 
we are not moving. We love our neighborhood. Our families have been here. Suzette had just turned her house into heaven on earth for her, and she had done so through hard work and, and everything else, living kind of her slice of America. This was it. And they wanted to take it from her. Well, this case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And sadly, at the court, the court ruled for Pfizer Corporation and the government. But let me just take a step back. Justice Thomas writes a very powerful dissent. And I encourage people to read the chapter. You'll see the details of the fight all the way to the court. And you'll see what happens. And there's a Twitter page for the book. It's the People's Justice. If they put it in, this question was asked at argument by Justice Scalia of the city's lawyer. So if it serves the public purpose, and I'm going to come back to those words, if it serves the public purpose to take from the poor and give to the rich because the rich pays higher taxes, you can do that. And the city said yes. And Justice Scalia said, wait, what are you talking about? You can hear the puzzlement in his voice. You can take from A and give to B just because B pays more taxes. Again, the city says yes. And this shocks him. And rightfully so. Well, where does this public purpose come from? Because I told you the words of the Constitution say public use, which means things like sidewalks Mm -hmm. and widening the road. Well, it comes from a case out of D.C. known as Berman, where the Supreme Court allowed the city of D.C. to take what they called blighted property for apartment buildings and other things because it served the public purpose. So they changed the words of the Constitution to allow this to happen. As Justice Thomas points out, this practice that had been used for a long time, displaced most often poor and minorities. In fact, the D.C. case displaced 97 percent of the people who were displaced were black. And then he points out how awful this practice is and was derogatorily called, and I'm sorry to use these words, but I'm quoting, Negro removal. In other words, who's championing the poor, the blacks, the minorities in this case, Justice Thomas, whose invitation did he take to do that? Who asked him to return to the original meaning? Because he's the all four justices vote in favor of Suzette Kilo. She loses five to four, but only Justice Thomas returns to the original meaning. And what no one will tell you in the chapter points out one part, one amicus brief asked for the original meaning to be returned to the NAACP because they pointed out how often this is used to prey on blacks and minorities historically. And yet when you go Google Justice Thomas and Kilo, you're going to see nothing about that unless you read the opinion or you read the people's justice and see the facts, which are, as I included endnotes, because people aren't going to believe it. They're going to have to go check. In fact, they won't believe the city said you can take from the poor and give to the rich. That's why it's on the Twitter page. So, again, this would be surprising to um, some of our listeners who don't follow as closely the uh, the career of Justice Thomas. And it certainly is not championed by um, those who make the headlines on certain pieces of of, or decision making on the part of the court. Uh, But this this is typical of Justice Thomas. And again, in the 12 cases that you highlight, you point out what uh, you wouldn't know unless you dug a bit deeper into his his career and the impact he's had on the court as an originalist. Yeah, that's exactly right. And his words are included in there. And I think people are going to find his words pretty compelling. And they're going to go look for where these words are reported. They're going to see neither the facts of this case nor the words are reported 
And the, once they see him firsthand, I think it's really going to change a lot of minds about does he have a black voice? Does he have the little guy who ruled in favor of the corporation and who ruled in favor of the American people on this one? That's what I'd ask. I'm going to take a break in just a couple of minutes, but I do want to invite you to, to comment on why this is important that we understand who Justice Thomas is and his philosophy on the bench, because we're hearing all kinds of proposals um, stacking the, the court, uh, minimizing the inf- impact that this uh, third branch of the government has and all kinds of suggestions that we ought to be frightened by this um, this different kind of court, as the, the president would put it. This isn't a normal court. And it's based on the impression that many Americans have about justices like uh, Clarence Thomas that need to be stopped. Your thoughts on why it's important for us to not only understand the decisions that Clarence Thomas has made to understand the man, but also the future of the court itself. I think if people read the people's justice and see how Justice Thomas is, what his America looks like, they're going to be surprised at how often they agree with him. And so you can uh, it's kind of like that saying, I'm going to butcher it. You can believe them or you can believe your eyes and your eyes and what you read are going to tell you a completely different story. And yes, the cases, the, the holdings of the cases are the holdings of the cases, what they will report in the media. But what's really going on in these cases? What's lost and not told to the American people about these cases, about how often originalism, Justice Thomas's brand of originalism, he's the ultimate originalist, even his critics don't deny that, um, how often that favors the American people, how often it protects the little guy, how often it protects everyday parents, like the Cleveland parents who just wanted to get a good education for their children. The picture is the backdrop of the Twitter page, the Cleveland parents who just wanted to get their kids out of failing schools, who championed that? Clarence Thomas. And so I think when everyday Americans see this and they read through it, and this book isn't written for lawyers, even though they'll enjoy it too. It's written for everyday Americans that are busy. They can pick it up, read a couple stories a day, and they'll get a feel for what originalism has to offer. And I think they're going to walk away with a different view than they came to the book with. And perhaps a higher regard for uh, the Supreme Court in general. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, if you could just maybe focus on one other case that uh, features a decision or writing on the part of uh, Justice Thomas. Again, we're talking about a fascinating book, The People's Justice, Clarence Thomas and the Constitutional Stories That Define Him, uh, which focuses on uh, cases that he has contributed to giving us a perspective on how he thinks and what um, how he arrives at the conclusions that he has come to. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with um, Amal Thapar, who is the author of The People's Justice, Clarence Thomas and the Constitutional Stories That Define Him. A fascinating look at uh, Clarence Thomas, not necessarily uh, the man and his, um, his personal history, but his judicial philosophy as it's played out in 12 cases that are featured in this uh, fascinating book. Now, just before the break, we we focused on one of those cases. Can you select another and give us a bit of perspective on the role that he played in clarifying what um, his judicial philosophy, which is um, uh, to be a um, originalist, uh, and the outcome of a case. 
Yeah. So one is the un. Uh, so the next chapter I want to focus on is what happens when we get away from the original meaning. So mm-hmm. we saw firsthand in the first chapter, and we discussed it how when you get away from the words of the Constitution and start to change them, they have dire consequences or bad consequences for the American people. Another one is when we have what Justice Thomas believes is a non-originalist decision that is often championed in the press, he will often, although it's not reported, point out the unintended consequences of these decisions. And so Kathy McKee was this remarkable woman from Detroit. You know, she wasn't well off and she funded her own way as a young child to Los Angeles to pursue her dream of being a Hollywood star. And she became a Hollywood star. And after becoming a Hollywood star, she was touring with Sammy Davis Jr. And Kathy had done all kinds of things. And the chapter talks about her exploits. And so I'll let I'll leave it to your listeners to read about that. But what ultimately happens is she's friends with Bill Cosby. And I'm sure your listeners know what happened with Bill Cosby. And she goes to visit him. She's in Detroit touring back home with Sammy Davis Jr. And Sammy leaves to go back to California and she stays to visit with family. Well, Bill Cosby happens to be in town and he wants to do something with her and invites her. And she had been, had been friends with Bill Cosby and his wife had had dinner at their house. And so he asked her to bring dinner for him to his hotel room, which isn't uncommon. He's a you know, he's a big mm-hmm. star and can't go out. So she takes him dinner. Well, she claims that when she arrived there, he raped her. Um, And when other women start reporting this, she, too, reports about the rape. Well, what did Cosby and his lawyers pursued what is called a scorched earth strategy in response to these women accusing him of rape is they went after the women. And she wanted to go to court and prove. I mean, they called her all sorts of names, and it's recounted in the chapter, including a liar. And she wanted to go to court and prove that Bill Cosby was lying about her. But the court has a doctrine called New York Times v. Sullivan. And in that, the Supreme Court said that public figures can recover for defamation only if they show the defendant acted with actual malice. And I'm reading from the book. In other words, the plaintiff needed to show that the defendant actually knew for a fact that the statement was false or else recklessly disregard that it was probably false. And as Justice Thomas has said, and others have said, the standard is almost impossible to meet. So her case got thrown out of court. Why? Because they said by accusing Bill Cosby of rape, she became what's called a limited public figure, which is part of that doctrine, and had to prove actual malice, which is what's in someone's mind is almost impossible Mm -hmm. to prove. And so her case was tossed out. Well, Justice Thomas writes a lengthy decision about he's the only one at the court. And he writes a lengthy decision about for himself about how this case was wrong and how it's not based on the original meaning of the Constitution. But to prove he's the people's justice, two years later, he will constantly now write about this doctrine and the unintended consequences. Two years later, in a different case, he never forgot about Kathy McKee. And he wrote again, and I'm going to quote him from it. Remember, this is a different opinion of his. In another solo opinion, he wrote that Sullivan had denied McKee the right to defend her reputation in court simply because she accused a powerful man of rape. I've talked to Kathy McKee. 
to this day, she just wants to prove that she's telling the truth and Bill Cosby's lying. And because she was raped by a powerful man, she's thrown out of court. That is the unintended consequences in Justice Thomas's mind of getting away from the original meaning. Again, we learned something about his uh, attention to detail, his care for individuals in these cases, whether or not they move forward to a decision the Supreme Court is ultimately going to make. And he he remembers her. He writes about her by name and makes reference at, at some point in the future. Again, that tells us a little bit of uh, of who Clarence Thomas is and how he approaches his work from the bench and his regard for the people whose lives are being impacted by cases that cases that make their way through the courts. Yeah. And one case I talk about in the book is the 11th chapter, and I'll leave it for the readers to read. But one thing that was amazing to me when we were studying it is 20 years after the case, one of the lawyer's children bumped into Justice Thomas and introduced themselves. And he remembered the details of the case from 20 years earlier and the people involved. I mean, imagine that. This is a man that just doesn't forget about people and that remembers their travails and will not forget and will often reference back. In fact, the last week of the term, so this is many years later now, he again cited Kathy McKee's case. He never forgets. Mm. It's incredible. Most of us are familiar with Justice Thomas um, in the more celebrated or controversial cases, these are cases that may be lesser known, but do reveal something of his judicial philosophy and character. What are the primary lessons you hope that readers will take away from the people's justice and our effort to better understand not only Justice Thomas, but um, what uh, originalism uh, means and why it's important to the republic moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few lessons, if I may. One is that Justice Thomas's love for America. You'll see firsthand in the book, I, I talk about it in the introduction, about his upbringing and how he truly grew up dirt poor. His mom had was making $10 a week, so little she had to give her kids, her two boys up to their grandfather to raise and how their grandfather raised him with an iron fist, but he also believed firmly in America. When Justice Thomas or his brother would complain, his grandfather would say, old man can't is dead. You know how I know? I helped bury him whenever they said they couldn't do anything. He grew up in segregated America. The second thing I hope they'll learn is in Justice Thomas's mind, and I think chapters two and three are important, especially today, when you talk about affirmative action, chapter three is affirmative action, chapter two is vouchers. He thinks that uh, affirmative action is an unconstitutional band-aid on a much bigger problem plaguing mm-hmm. America, which is the failing K through 12 education, especially for the poor and minority kids and how important it is to give those kids chances to succeed. And then the third thing is that he thinks all Americans will, if you set the bar high, they will accomplish it. That's based on his own upbringing that Setting a high bar for your kids, they'll accomplish it. If government sets it lower based on your race, in his mind, as he talks about in Chapter 3, that's racism. And so we shouldn't be doing that. And the final thing I hope they'll walk away with when they read this book is what they read about, no matter who it is, his proponents or his antagonists, 
they're not telling the full story. And if people know the full story, they're going to have a completely different picture of this man. And hopefully he will rightfully be thought of as a much different justice, as the leading originalist, as a brilliant man who cares compassionately about people. And if they get the chance to meet him, they'll see that firsthand. Well, I thank you so much for this uh, for this book, The People's Justice. I think people will find it fascinating because it takes a different approach to helping us understand uh, Clarence Thomas. And thank you so much for spending the time with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Again, Amal Thapar is the author of The People's Justice, Clarence Thomas and the Constitutional Stories That Define Him. The book is published by Regnery. Gateway. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Tomorrow on the program, by the way, we'll be talking with Bradley Jersick. He's the author of A More Christ-Like Word, Reading Scripture, The Emmaus Way. That's coming up tomorrow on the program. And then on Wednesday, we'll be talking with uh, representatives from uh, Alliance Defending Freedom regarding the uh, Supreme Court decision on 303. That's coming up on Wednesday's program. Well, is the Chinese Communist Party ready to export its highly centralized version of Protestant Christianity to the rest of the world? Well, that's the gist of a report from Religious Liberty and Human Rights magazine Bitter Winter, stating a conference held last month with state-aligned religious leaders declared the Communist Chinese Party's intent to change the face of the world, Christianity. Well, according to the report, the training meeting for key pastors of the Northeast China Christian region held June 27th through the 30th in the northeastern uh, Jilin province was the launch of a grandiose plan from the Chinese President Xi Jinping and the CCP. As part of a nationally broadcast conference, Pastor Can Baoping of the Chinese Christian Three Self-Patriotic Movement Committee and Pastor Shan Jing, whose name I probably mispronounced, of the China Christian Council were reportedly among the speakers at that conference. In his speech, centered on Christianity adapted to a socialist society, Can predicted the Three Self Movement would help amplify the message of the successful experience of the um, of Christianity there. We will change the face of world Christianity, Pastor Can reportedly told the conference. And while the term uh, that he used has been used by the Communist Chinese Party authorities to describe bringing Christian groups in line with cultural and historical Chinese traditions, critics argue that the fundamental purpose of the uh, changing of Christianity is to transform and alienate Christianity. By doing so, according to the human rights group China Aid, the Communist Chinese Party <clears throat> hopes to reduce Christianity to the point that it operates as a tool, turning it into pseudo-Christianity. In December of last year, Can and other leaders of the Three Self uh, Movement marked the deaths of Jiang Zemin, the General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, from 1989 to 2002. Can reportedly credited Jiang with starting the uh, cynicization of Christianity and doing a good job in religious work, end quote. But religious freedom advocates have warned for years that the uh, movement, the effort, also involves rewriting the Bible into a new uh, Chinese Communist Party-friendly translation. Now, they've been about that for some time. That's part of what the Three Self Church movement uh, adheres to. But religious freedom advocates say it's uh, worrying. According to a 2020 report from the Wall Street Journal, the high-level meeting among meetings of the Chinese Communist Party's Politburo Standing Committee was held at the height of the pandemic with scholars and religious figures focused on an effort 
to make accurate and authoritative interpretations of classical doctrines to keep pace with the times, end quote. Well, the effort comes as Chinese Christianity has exploded from roughly four million adherents in the 50s to over 60 million as of 2020 and growing. The Chinese government only recognizes five official religions that submit to its influence. Authorities regularly crack down on unauthorized religious groups and house churches. China has also worked to align itself with the seat of power in Catholicism after signing an agreement with the Vatican in 2018 to give the communist government a role in appointing bishops to consolidate the Catholic Church in China. Well, earlier this year, China Aid reported in its 2022 persecution report that the Communist Chinese Party intensified persecution of churches and Christians across mainland China, leading up to the 20th Party Congress in 2022, with more house church leaders facing fraud charges and stricter censorship of online religious content. According to the report, several house church pastors and elders in China were sent to jail, including Pastor Hao Ji of Injiao House Church in Hubei province, who was sentenced to eight years in prison and incarceration there uh, is not the same as incarceration here in terms of how these um, these pastors and church leaders are treated. In other news, the true story of an experience from uh, Tim Ballard and his team has come to life in the film Sound of Freedom. The movie starring Jim Caviezel is uh, as Ballard knocked off um, uh, the box off uh, the knocked other box office films off the podium, I should say. In fact, it beat out such films as Disney's Indiana Jones Dial of Destiny, another first weekend flop for the company and DreamWorks Ruby Gillum Teenage Kraken on the 4th of July. Sound of Freedom grossed $14.2 million and considered uh, considering their limited scope to uh, even have the film playing in theaters is amazing. Sound of Freedom is a crime thriller. It depicts the story of redemption that Tim Ballard's character undergoes. Ballard was a former Homeland Security agent whose experiences prompted him to quit his job so that he would be able to rescue more children who were victims of human sex trafficking than he otherwise could have as an agent. Well, Ballard's journey takes him into the lair of some of the greatest evil that the human mind can conceive. As Jordan Peterson pointed out in his interview with Ballard and Caviezel, the story has a a meta issue that of child sex slavery and a particular story about a specific victim he was trying to rescue that draws audiences in. Well, the film covers a difficult topic. It's especially controversial because it's a larger commentary on the depravity of the and the chaos of the southern border. The U.S. is the number one consumer of pornography and sex trafficking in the world. Number one, as Caviezel uh, told Fox News, um, their Lighthouse Faith podcast, 300,000 children under the age of 18 were lured into sex trafficking business in the United States. We're the biggest consumer of, checks, of uh, child sex trafficking and pornography in the world. The United States, the home of the free, the land of the brave. This is ridiculous, Caviezel went on to say, and so the film is a threat. The southern border crisis is facilitating this. President Biden is directly responsible for the continued pervasive exploitation of migrant children and the border crisis at large. But Sound of Freedom is not just making a statement on America's crimes. It's an indictment of Western culture's acceptance of moral relativism and the rejection of Judeo-Christian values. When confronted with such abject evil, moral relativism's theory of life is blown right out of the water. 
In simple terms, moral relativism states that there are no universal principles of good and evil. If people can make up their own morality, the results are horrific depravity. Adults, both the uh, slaver and the pedophile, take uh, take advantage of children for their own gain. Caviezel described this uh, perfectly when he told Fox News, you have good and you have evil. It's always been this way. But then you have the group in the middle that is riding the fence. The devil owns the fence. It is the people who ride the fence claiming that people have to do what is right in their own eyes that allows this sort of evil to thrive. Well, both Ballard and Caviezel had to overcome a lot of difficulty to even make the film. Big Hollywood studios rejected the script. No surprise there. And there were many influential people who didn't want the film seen. The child sex slave trade is a $150 billion industry. These children are expendable objects to slave traders. 50 for Freedom, a website dedicated to eradicating myths surrounding modern-day slavery, has even claimed that there are more slaves today than at any point in history. That includes forced labor, marriage, and sexual exploitation. Well, the end of trafficking has to happen by the people. It's not going to happen by the politicians, Caviezel said in an interview on Huckleby uh, TV. And the film is making headlines and waves along the way. I'd be worth seeing. Supporting the film will support the message getting out and others like it. Well, we are out of time. Once again, tomorrow we'll talk about the book, A More Christ-Like Word, Reading Scripture the Emmaus Way. That's coming up on tomorrow's program. want to thank Dave King for engineering and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.